Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. This information will be repeated at the end of the podcast. Open with me to John chapter 3. We're going to take what is probably an unfamiliar look at a familiar passage. We are all uh, very familiar, I would think, most of us anyway, with the narrative in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, between Jesus and Nicodemus. And here we have a rabbi who meets the Messiah. It starts off in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was one of the most important men in uh, all of Israel at this point, at this time uh, in history. Uh, we are told that he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees, uh, by the way, are the, uh, uh, they are the per perpetrators of uh, modern Judaism. Uh, they are very, very uh, much involved in the oral traditions, the oral law that extra-biblical revelation called the Talmud. Uh, the Pharisees were a relatively small group of people at this time. Uh, they numbered uh, some 6,000 uh, men being uh, the Pharisees. So uh, they were not large in number with a million and a half or more population in the land. Very small group. And although the Christian community looks down on the Pharisees oftentimes as hypocrites, that type of thing, the people, the common people, love the Pharisees. They really love the Pharisees and uh, supported them greatly, as opposed, by the way, to the Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees were even a smaller group, uh, made up of perhaps some 2,000 uh, people. Uh, the Sadducees were the aristocrats, the elite of their society. They were extremely corrupt uh, they were the temple custodians, they would buy and sell the high priesthood, and they were despised by the common man, by the common people. Uh, but the Pharisees were loved. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so he was a religious ruler. But we are also told here in verse 1 that he is a political ruler, he's a ruler of the Jews. Uh, Rome was the power of the day. But Rome gave uh, the Jewish people a limited rule uh, in their nation, the nation of Israel. And there was a Sanhedrin that would rule the affairs of Israel uh, politically. Nicodemus was one of those rulers. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, some 70 men who would rule over the affairs of the nation politically. So Nicodemus was a very important individual. Uh, he was a religious ruler, uh, he was a Pharisee, he was a political ruler, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and we are told that Nicodemus uh, came to Jesus by night, verse 2, and he says this unto him, 
rabbi, meaning teacher, speaking to Jesus. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus recognized the uniqueness of Jesus, of his ministry, of his calling that he has sent from God. No man can do what you have done except God be with him. So you would think he would be commended by the Lord. But look what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered, responded to him and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He didn't say, Nicodemus, you're wise, you're insightful, you understand that I am sent from God and I commend you for that. No, he kind of hits him with a two before, right between the eyes, this uh, esteemed religious and political ruler of Israel. And he says, Jesus says to him, I want you to understand something, Nicodemus. If you're not born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. Now, I would imagine that Nicodemus thought not only would he see the kingdom of God, but he'd probably be in a fairly prominent position in God's kingdom and rulership. I mean, here was a very prominent man in the nation of Israel, politically, religiously. And so when Jesus says, Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus was totally confused. Look at the, look at the response in verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't understand. What are you talking about, Jesus? I must be born again. Do I go back into the womb and, and come out of the womb again? I'm, I'm a grown individual. I'm, how does this happen? I'm confused. So Jesus responded this way. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so he says, if you're not born of water and of the Spirit, you'll never into, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want to take a, a long time on this phrase, born of water, because we're going into another, in another direction. But uh, I do need to, to at least uh, uh, mention it, talk about it, because it's very confusing for a lot of people. First off, as we consider this phrase, born of water, this is being given to a Jewish leader who only has the Tanakh. If you were with us Friday night, you know what I'm talking about. What is referred to oftentimes as the Jewish Bible, what Christians refer to as the Old Testament, which is not, you get the Friday night message, is not a good term for it. Uh, the earlier scriptures, there was no, uh, uh, the later revelation, the New Testament, I'll just call it that, uh, there was no New Testament revelation that uh, was recorded at this time, it was being lived out, the Gospels uh, were being lived out, the epistles would be written many years later. And so whatever is being communicated here by Jesus to Nicodemus 
he has to understand it in, in the contextual context of his culture and the Old Testament scriptures. We can't go to later New Testament scriptures, as many do, to try to understand it. Now, some people would say, well, born of water is just a physical birth. Uh, I don't think it's that. It's illogical that Jesus would tell a born individual, I mean, Nicodemus is right there in front of him, you need to be born uh, of, 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 of a woman, of a man and a woman. It's illogical that he would be saying you have to be born physically, ultimately to be born again. I mean, he's already born. So I, I don't think that uh, it carries any water, if I can use that uh, you know, phrase. Uh, secondly, there are those who would say that this speaks of baptism. Uh, Catholicism teaches that, and they appeal to this verse uh, and others, but um, it's not speaking of baptism, whether it's John's baptism to come or previous baptism and, and that type of thing. Um, it's something, again, that Nicodemus should have understood from the earlier scriptures, the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with any kind of baptism, Christian baptism. And actually, if you, if you would study the subject of baptism out, uh, the Jewish world has mikvah, baptism. When you go to Israel, you go to the southern steps in Jerusalem, and, and you see all kinds of mikvah there. Uh, they have uncovered dozens of mikvah, baptismal pools, which gives you an idea when you're there, for example, how could they baptize 3,000 on the day of Pentecost when you have... 20 or 30 or 40 pools around there, you can understand how easy it would be to do that. But mikvahs, or Jewish baptism, uh, goes back to, oh, somewhere, um, if I remember correctly, about 100 years before the time of Jesus. So baptism was a very well-understood ritual uh, in this world when it came along, but it has nothing to do with what Jesus is speaking of here and certainly not with Christian baptism. The third explanation, and I think the, the correct one, and, and there are some, by the way, and, and I didn't even put this one down, probably should. Some, some say that the born of water is, is a picture of the washing of water by the word, and they go into First uh, uh, Peter and Ephesians and other passages uh, but again, I, I don't think you can do that because this has to be relevant uh, to Nicodemus and his understanding. And all of that is later revelation, later scripture to come. So it's not a picture of the word of God, although obviously we need the word of God to be saved. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, I, I think what it is is a picture of uh, cleansing, cleansing. Throughout the uh, Old Testament... You'll find this, you'll find it in the law, uh, in, in the ritual washings that they had, not baptism, but ritual washings that they would have in the, in the temple and such. Uh, you will find it, for example, in uh, Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26, and Isaiah 44, 3, where, it, where it's a picture or a symbol uh, of cleansing of sin. And I think what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and he would have understood, is, is Nicodemus, unless in, in your sins are forgiven and the Spirit of God changes your life, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. Simply that. 
Your sins need to be forgiven, and you need the Spirit of God to change your life. Otherwise, you'll never, ever see the kingdom of God. So in verse 6, Jesus goes on, says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Uh, we come into the world physically, and uh, it's a physical entity. But there's a spiritual reality, a spiritual birth that every single individual needs to have if we want to see heaven, the kingdom of God. And then he says, Jesus says in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Don't be amazed. Don't be astounded. Don't marvel uh, that I told you you must be born again. And then he gives this illustration. Verse 8. The wind blows where it lists, and thou canst hear the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it comes, whether it goes. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Basically what he's saying, it's like on a hot day, you're sweating, and uh, all of a sudden a nice gust of wind comes along, and it cools you down. Uh, you didn't know where it came from, and you don't know where it goes, but it has its uh, influence on you. Same thing with the Spirit of God. When one is born again, uh, you know very little of anything about the Spirit of God, and, and He comes into your life and He changes you. And He continues His ministry and goes on. There will be a change in your life, uh, is what He is saying. And then He says in verse 9, I'm going to have to sneeze. Um, we were talking earlier, pastor's wife and I, about how do I like the flowers. Well, I said, well, if I end up sneezing, <laughs> that'll tell you a lot. Okay, I think it's passed. Okay. Look at, look at verse uh, 9. Nicodemus was still confused. Uh, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Here was this religious leader. Uh, he is actually referred to in the next verse when Jesus said, uh, Art thou a master of Israel, and knoweth not these things? You're one of the primary religious teachers, leaders, in the nation of Israel. You don't understand what I'm talking about? How come, Nicodemus, you don't understand what I am telling you, being a master in Israel? that you don't know these things. Now, what Jesus was implying here is that Nicodemus, as a religious leader, should have been steeped in his understanding and knowledge of what we call the Old Testament Scriptures, should have resonated 100% in his heart and his mind with what Jesus is telling him because what Jesus is communicating to him is not new. That what he's telling him about being born again is found back in the Old Testament, the earlier scriptures. So what I would like to do this morning is take us back to those earlier scriptures, the Old Testament, and look at what Nicodemus should have understood but didn't. So as we do that, go back with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. 
Now, I just want to mention the first two verses, and then we're going to skip down to verse 22. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we are told this, Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. And then verse 2, and I want you to remember this phrase. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. That is at Mount Sinai, that is the Mosaic Law, but he made a covenant with us in Mount Horeb. Now go down to verse 22. He has reiterated the Ten Commandments prior to this and Moses' giving of those commandments to Israel, which is just part of the entire Mosaic system. But then in verse 22, we are told, These words the Lord spoke unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. And it came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness. For the mountain did burn with fire. That you came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God hath shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man and he lives. Picture the, the setting. Uh, darkness and, and a cloud and, and, and fire. Uh, and out of this uh, cloud comes a booming voice. The voice of God. And the Israelites understood, recognized the uniqueness of this entire event. That this is a one-time thing never to be repeated again. They understood that under normal circumstances they would have died. Look at verse 25. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh? that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived. And in unison, totality, 100%, all that were there at that time, they had left Egypt, they were now uh, at the foot of Sinai, Moses had gotten the law, uh, here expressly talking about the Ten Commandments, the cloud, the darkness, the fire, the voice of God booming, out of it, and the people understood. If this would happen again, we'd all die. Who else has ever had this unique experience? No one. Because they were confronted with the holiness of God Himself. There was not an atheist in the crowd. Wasn't even an agnostic at that point. If they were agnostics leaving Egypt, 
or atheists leaving Egypt, they were now believers in God. Because God spoke to them. Uh, with all of these manifestations of, of supernatural around them, with the cloud and the darkness and, and the fire, and, and this voice speaking to maybe upwards of a million and a half Israelites, had to be booming, coming out of that. And so they responded this way. Verse 27. Go thou near, Moses, go thou near, and hear all that the Lord our God shall say. And speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. Very commendable. Would be to God, that would be our response when we hear the word of God. Now, we will not hear the word of God in a mountaintop experience with a cloud and a fire and a booming voice. We are much more fortunate. Here's the Word of God. And you're holding it in your lap or reading it on your iPhone. Don't admit to that right now. But anyway, <laughs> or your tablet. But we have the entire revealed Word of God written down for us. Would be to God that our response when we read or heard in a sermon something and we were challenged from the Word of God, that we would have the exact same response that these Israelites had. Moses, you go. You go hear what God wants from us. You come back. You tell us what God wants of us. And we will hear what you have to say. And we will do exactly what you tell us. I'm sure, Pastor, this is how the congregation has responded to you through the years. Well, isn't that how we should respond? It's biblical? Well, this was a very, very commendable response on their part. And what, how else could they respond? I mean, they saw the, the greatness and the holiness of God himself. But look at God's response in verse 28 initially. And the Lord heard the voice of your words. When you spoke unto me, and the Lord said unto me, unto Moses, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. They were not hypocritical. They meant every syllable. They meant every word that they said. God even commended them for their sincerity. These are not hypocrites. They meant in, in, in their entirety... Uh, when they said, Moses, find out what God wants, tell us, we will do it, and God commended them. They were certainly sincere. No question about it. God would have said, you speaking with a forked tongue. Well, he probably wouldn't have used that language. But anyway, uh, that you're not really uh, straight with Moses when you tell him that, if they were. When, Ma, when God commented that they have well said, he was saying, you mean it. In your very being, in your heart, you mean what you're saying. But then look at the next verse, what God says, verse 29. Oh, that there was such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all of my commandments always. 
that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So God says, I wish there was a heart in them that they could do what they say. This is not a heart of sincerity. This is not a sincere heart that God is talking about. He had already in the previous verse commented on their sincerity. But there is something lacking in the individual's lives that prevent them from doing exactly what they said they would like to do. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look at verse 12. Moses says, And now Israel... What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Remember what they had said? Moses, you go. You find out what God wants of us. You come back and you tell us what God wants of us and we will do it. So now Moses is going to answer them. Okay, Israel, here is what God requires of you. And by the way, uh, by extension, this is true for every single one of us here. What does God require of them? What does God require of us? So here, Israel, is what God requires of you. To fear the Lord thy God. To walk in all his ways. To love him. To serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. So here's what God wants of you, Israel. Here's what God wants of us. He wants us to fear him. He wants us to walk in his ways. He wants us to love him. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to keep his commandments what God wants of all of us. That's what God wanted of them back there. And then he says in verse 14, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heaven is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. See, this is not uh, beyond the call of duty. The earth, the heaven, everything within the earth, everything in creation belongs to God. By being creator, he owns everything. And so just by his being the creator and creating and owning everything, this is not beyond the call of duty. This is not uh, extra credit or whatever if you do it. This is just basic for us. And then look at the next verse in verse 15. Now he speaks directly and specifically to the Jewish people. Only the Lord had to delight in thy fathers to love them. And he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. And, and if you're Jewish, you have even a greater responsibility in a sense, because you are part of the chosen people. God set you aside. God would use you for his plan and purpose. And so there's a call on all humanity, because God is creator for us to respond to this and fear him and love him and walk in all of his ways and serve him and to keep his commandments. But uh, Israel, there's even a greater responsibility, if you will, on, on your part. 
Because God chose you. Look at verse 16 now. And what God says. Circumcise, therefore. And I'm going to flip those two words around. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to back up to see what it's there for. Therefore, God wants us to, to fear Him, to serve Him, to love Him, to keep His commandments, to walk in all of His ways. Therefore, if you are going to do all of that, the very first thing that has to take place is you need to have a circumcised heart. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be rebellious. Don't be no more stiff next. See, circumcision of the heart is the equivalent term to born again. And it is used oftentimes in the earlier scriptures. Uh, for example, and you don't necessarily have to turn to all of these, but in the fourth chapter of Jeremiah, um, it, it says this in uh, verses 1 through 4, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thy abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove and thou shalt swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, in righteousness. And the nation shall bless themselves in him, the Goyim, the Gentiles, and in him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Break up that hardness of your heart. And then verse 4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Take away the foreskins of your heart. Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. If you don't have your heart circumcised, you're going to have the wrath of God instead. It's used so many times in the scriptures. Um, oh my... Um, Look, look at Jeremiah 31. It's in Ezekiel a number of times. It's in um, Jeremiah. It's, in, it's, it's throughout the earlier scriptures. And we looked at this one the other night, but let's look at it one more time. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, that speaks of the new covenant. Uh, and this is what it says. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's the Mosaic covenant, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I have put my law in their inward parts, write it in their hearts." I will put the law in their hearts. They will have a circumcised heart. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, turn back with me to Deuteronomy. But this time to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verses 1 through 6. 
uh, has historically been referred to as the Palestinian Covenant, uh, an unfortunate use of terminology today. Uh, it's a promise of the land covenant, and it should be understood as the land covenant that is promised to Israel that one day he will bring the Jewish people back to the land and he will put them in the land uh, in verse 2 of this verse and you shall uh, and shall return unto the Lord thy God and God shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee uh, this day thou and thy children with all thine heart with all thy soul that then the Lord thy God will turn your captivity and have compassion upon thee and, and return and gather thee from all the nations where the Lord thy God has scattered thee and if any of you be driven out from the utmost parts of heaven from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee uh, and from uh, thence will he fetch thee uh, and the Lord God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possess. That's why it should be called the land covenant, this portion. And, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. But look at verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. We have to have a circumcised heart. You don't go to a surgeon to do it. Well, you do. But it's the great physician. It's the Lord Jesus, the Lord God. He circumcises our heart. See, the only way we can fear him and love him and serve him and obey him and walk in all of his ways is if we first have a changed a circumcised heart. Let me give you an example, and we'll be closing in just a short time, but 1 Samuel chapter 9. My wife says, every time you say you're closing shortly, it's another 30 minutes. Um, it's not. It's really not. So. 1 Samuel chapter 9. In this passage... Saul, King Saul, is about to be uh, anointed the king of Israel. Now, as we pick it up um, earlier in this uh, chapter, let's uh, go back to, um, oh, uh, verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his era day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I'll send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, Saul. And thou shalt anoint him to be captain or king over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come upon me. So verse 17, Samuel sees Saul coming, and the Lord spoke on him, and this is the man who will reign over my people. And when Saul, verse 18, drew near to Samuel uh, in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is, Samuel answered, Samuel and Saul said, I am the seer. Uh, Samuel says, uh, go up before me into the high place, for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow, and I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is thine heart. So what does he tell him? Verse 21. And Saul answered, said, uh, well, verse 20, and as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, uh, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? They wanted a king. On whom is all the desire of Israel, Saul? It's not on thee and on all thy father's house. 
And Saul answered and said, in other words, Saul, you're going to be the king. And, and Saul answered and said, am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? See, Saul at this time in his life was very humble. Don't you know, Samuel, I'm a Benjamite. There's 12 tribes. And the Benjamites, we're the least of all the tribes of Israel. And not only that, my family is the least of all the families of Benjamin. So at least in Saul's mind, where did this put him on the totem pole? Right the bottom. He was humble. Now, he would have problems later because he was put in the wrong place of ministry. And he was lifted up in pride. And he had all kinds of problems happen. But at this point, he was humble. Humility is the first step towards salvation. You have to be willing to admit, to humble yourself and say, I'm a lost sinner before a holy God, deserving the wrath of God upon me and, and deserving all that is due me. And when you're willing to humble yourself and, and admit that, uh, you're uh, at the place to be saved. Well, look at verse 26. They arose early, Samuel and Saul. And it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went, both of them, he and Samuel abroad. And as they went, as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. Let the servant go ahead of us. But Saul, you, stand thou still a while, that I, Samuel, may show thee the word of God. Now what Samuel was going to do with Saul in the vernacular that we use today is witness to him. He was going to take the word of God and share the word of God with him. Now understand, he didn't have most of what we have. He had the five books of Moses and probably the book of Job and that's it. And he shared what we would call the gospel and the Messiah, from the five books of Moses and Job. So let me ask you a question. How many of you could lead someone to the Lord just using Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Job? Don't answer the question. How many of you could lead someone to the Lord using the complete revelation? You should at least be able to do that. We don't have to only use the first five books in Job. But that's all that Samuel had. So he shared the word of God. Now what was the result of that? Look in the next chapter in verse 9. And it was so that when he, Saul, had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him, Saul, another heart 
And all those signs came to pass that day. Saul was born again. Saul got a circumcised heart. I have no question in my mind that when I get to heaven one day, I'm going to see two Sauls there, hopefully a lot more Sauls, both from the tribe of Benjamin, King Saul and the Apostle Saul that we usually call Paul. By the way, Paul's name was not, uh, or Saul's name was not changed to Paul. That's, 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 read the scriptures. Go back to Acts and read it. Saul's name was not changed to Paul. Saul, who was also called Paul. Anyway, that's, I'm not charging you for that. <laughs> We're going to close in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. <clears throat> This is what Nicodemus should have understood. This is what Nicodemus should have known about. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through He was a master teacher in Israel. He was a religious leader. He was totally confused. He shouldn't have been confused. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, we are told this. The Lord thy God, Moses says, will rise up unto thee a prophet. From the midst of thee, of thy brethren, he'll be Jewish, like unto me. He's going to be like me, Moses says. He'll be Jewish from your brethren unto him. This one, you need to listen. You need to hearken. Then look at verse 16 and 17. According to all that thou desired of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of thy assembly. Where did we read about Horeb and the assembly? Deuteronomy chapter and so it's according to all that thou desired of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly. Remember when you said, let not me hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Neither let me see this great fire any more than I die not. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. Remember when you were back in Horeb at Mount Sinai? at that assembly, and God spoke out of that cloud and the fire with that booming voice, and you said, Moses, find out what God wants. Come and tell us. And everything he requires of us, everything that you tell us, we will do. Remember that? And God commended you for that? Well, verse 18, I'm going to raise up unto thee a prophet. From among their brethren, like unto you, Moses, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him, and it shall come to pass, that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Jesus was that prophet. Nicodemus should have fell on his face before the Lord God of heaven in flesh, the Messiah of Israel, Jesus, and said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Or he should have known what he needed to do to see. He was a teacher. He was a religious leader. <coughs> but he was confused. Why? He was a Pharisee. He put as much stock into the oral law, into tradition, rather than the word of God.
and the message is the same for us today. It's not tradition, whatever that tradition might be, of Judaism, of Catholicism, of any kind of religion. You must be born again. You must have your heart changed. And the only one that can do that is the Lord God. You must have a circumcised heart. Comes through believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful and grateful for the word of God. The message has never changed. We need a changed heart. We need a new life. We need our sins forgiven and cleansed, which uh, is done when the Spirit of God uh, makes the Word of God come alive and we recognize Jesus is that provision and accept Him and Him alone as our Savior and Lord. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's never done that, may today, this morning, be the day of their salvation. But we commit this to you and thank you, Father, In the precious name of our Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477 Shalom